Leanne, what exactly do you do for a living? Cleaner. You mean you're a hitman? Yeah. Cool. Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. My man was killed right here. A few hours later, a little 12-year-old girl comes into my office, armed to the teeth, with a firm intention of sending me straight to the morgue. And you know who came and got her in the middle of the afternoon, right there in my building? The very same Italian hitman. I'm dying to meet him. Today, as part of our throwback series, we'll be discussing Leon the Professional, starring Jean Reno. No women, no kids. That's the rules. Natalie Portman. Don't help me, I'll die tonight. I can feel. No, I don't want to die tonight. Danny Aiello. If something happens to me someday. Hey, Leon, nothing's going to happen to you. You're indestructible, bullets slide off you, you play with them. And Gary Oldman. I like these calm little moments before the storm. It reminds me of Beethoven. Directed by Luc Besson. Betty, bring me everyone. You mean everyone? Everyone! Hello and welcome to the Rewire Movie Podcast. You're a Mozart fan. I love him too. I love Mozart. It's Gally in Glasgow. Uh, there's no mention of these on this. It's Patrick in London. Bingo! It's Matt in South Korea. Death is whimsical today. It's Joe in North Yorkshire. Welcome back, gang, and welcome back to the show, listeners. Today we have a very special guest returning to the Rewind Movie Podcast. An individual with over 20 credits as gaffer in film and television, including the Oscar-winning Judy starring Rennie Zellweger. Hello again. How are you, Joe McDonald? And have you recovered from all those white Russians? Hello, guys. Yeah, um, I'm well, thank you. Uh, there was a lot of clinking and the clinking of ice in the back of that recording. I seem to remember. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lebowski recording. It's great. Uh, yeah, I'm really well, thank you. I'm really uh, glad to be back with you guys talking about uh, Leon the Professional. Indeed, indeed. So, Joe, this is your pick, a, a throwback, listeners, and uh, and as you've as you've said, you've chosen Leon the Professional, or I always knew it as just Leon. Yeah, uh, I never saw the the colon the Professional, but I assume they there was maybe a confusion with the 1974 the Professional, um, so they they just added on the Leon. Um, but Joe, first experiences uh, with Leon, pretty similar to Lebowski actually, and I, I don't know whether that's fed into why I've chosen it because um, I chose it a, a few months ago. Um, Watching it, VHS copy, uh, with, uh, probably girlfriend at the time. I was probably about 16. Friday night, uh, movie, uh, movie, get from the rental shop. Another suggestion from, uh, my cool older brother, uh, um, you know, cause I think I probably watched it in probably 99, mm. I would think. Uh, so a while after it was made. Do you still have the VHS? <laughs> yeah, probably somewhere. Probably somewhere. Um, in, in the attic. In fact, I'm pretty sure I do. Mm. Just don't have a player to play it on. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then then probably never watched it again. Maybe he's watched it, maybe he's at film school, uh, sort of, 
2003, four, something like that. And then never touched it again until I watched it with my, my wife, like I say, about two months ago. Did she enjoy it? She really enjoyed it. We both did, you know, um, I can't remember what, you know, uh, so the reason that we watched it was again, just like, this is a really cool, good film and you haven't seen it. So let's watch it. And Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it for ages. It's also a hard one to describe, isn't it? It's like, you have to watch it. Yeah. Rather than tell someone about, yeah. oh, there's this film called Leon, you really have to subject yeah. someone to it to kind of get it. Yeah. Uh, and it was really interesting to get her opinion, obviously, sandwiches and stuff, and we're going to go into this later, about the, you know, some of the aspects of it. What about you, Patrick? Experiences with Leon? Yeah, this is very much film that I kind of have like a bundle or a collection of that I think is a similar history. Um, I, I watched it for this on my old DVD. And it's been so long since I've seen it on the DVD, I'd forgotten. But I don't know how to describe this. But when I put it in, the picture came out and I was like, oh, crap. The picture was like that much of the screen instead of full screen. It was some sort of zoomed thing. But I couldn't zoom in. It would elongate the faces and warp the aspect <laughs> ratio. And I was like, for God's sake. You know, like this big TV that I have, not as big as Galley's because he's rich, but this big no. TV that I have, it was this strange letterbox thing. And I was like, wow, this DVD really is old. And I got thinking about where I first saw it. And I recall that this is definitely a film I watched as sixth form. And I went through that stage at sixth form of wanting to catch up on these really cool films from that I haven't seen yet. Like, uh, and I remember buying this at the Virgin Megastore in Leicester, um, I think along with think something like True Romance and Pulp Fiction. Mm. Uh, I remember getting like ID'd for these films and Leon and I've still got the DVD. I've still got the True Romance and Pulp Fiction DVDs as well. And you've still got a VHS player because we've seen I it. I still on. have a VHS. I'll, yeah. I'll have to lend it to Joe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was certainly a film that like it's six film around that time. My friend Biggins, a uh, big film fan, and we had a lot of cool discussions about films at the time. And this is very high up on his list. And we had a chat on Friday as I was preparing myself for it. And I think I remember talking to him about it at the time and comparing notes, and that's where I, we generated these... I think I was getting into Empire magazine at the time. That, that's where I remember it from. But it's actually been a very long time since I revisited it, because um, I couldn't recall, apart from being like around going to university age and latter part now. Um, but, and Matt, how about you? I saw this one at college after like staring the, at the video box for like all all those years at our local video shop and never actually renting it for some reason I don't know why because it's inexplicable really because it looks really cool it's a good box and you know uh it, I might have seen it on on film four I was watching this was my I always go on about my filter coffee TCM era where I, I was watching uh, like film four as well we we just got Sky and we never had Sky and all my friends had it for years and. I felt very spoilt to, to have access to all of these films all of a sudden. And they used to show short films as well, like foreign films. Like there was one called Bomb, B-O-M, um, exclamation mark. And uh, that was like one of the first foreign shorts I'd ever seen. So my mind was kind of opening a little bit at the time. Uh, and I remember a really great documentary about the Sundance Lab as well. that co- sort of got me into filmmaking a bit. Um, and then I bought it on DVD in the 2000s during that multi-region DVD craze. Tesco sold a, a DVD player and me and my friend Sam had, had read something in Total Film or uh, Empire that you can hack it and you can watch American um, DVDs on it. So it began that kind of thing of going on these potentially dodgy sites and ordering DVDs and uh, um, getting all the extras and stuff like that. 
I think PlayStations did that as well, didn't they? The, the you could hack them, I think. Yeah, PlayStation Two, or you could you could have you could play like multi-regional DVDs. So it like opened up that world, didn't it? It, was, it did, I yeah. Um, and then so, so yeah, I was my, again. My mind was opening to all these new films and uh, filmmaker commentaries and stuff like that. And Leon was one of the films I, I kind of really got into around then. Um, I know it's not a foreign film, but it's kind of a gateway drug in terms of like getting into foreign films. Um, and it hit me at exactly the right time and it took the edge off what would come later, like with the Truffauts and the Goddards and stuff. And along with like Quentin Tarantino going on about, uh, Band Apart and stuff like that, that kind of got me into some of those. Um, I, I love, um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And, uh, the French have this kind of stylish fluidity that, that a lot of the films I'd seen at the time didn't have. It's just inherently cinematic stuff. Uh, and I always felt like it was made by someone that really understood cinema. That was one of my first Im- impressions of it. So, um, yeah, how about you, Gally? Uh, yeah, this was a VHS. I think my sister owned it. And Patrick, very similar to you, actually. Um, uh, a two, yeah, two-parter with True Romance. Um, I, I remember she loved this film. She loved True Romance. Um, and then Armageddon. So Matt, just for you, that one. So oh, coming yeah. soon. You, you get on with my, yeah, you get on with my sister, but not like that. All right. Um, but yeah, she, um, she, she introduced it to me and a bit like you said, film four, absolutely a gateway drug into, and this sounds really quite, uh, quite little England, but <laughs> into European cinema mm. because honestly, I, you know, we've, we've discussed, look at, look at the back catalogue of the films that we've all picked. They're all, pretty much big us hollywood studio releases i think we've got a portrait one british film mm. we will we will we'll remedy that um what is it rat catcher? Go through the show yeah it's rat catcher as well so uh, <laughs> go out and uh, watch that on a saturday evening with a with a pizza and a beer um but but no um so so this was this was definitely my introduction to uh that kind of it wasn't a french new wave as as so to speak, in the 90s, but there were all these French directors that I was starting to pay attention to. And Luc Besson was was one of them. Jean-Pierre Genet with uh, Delicatessen, you know, and then obviously he goes on to do Alien Resurrection, um, you know, future episode. So I was I was paying attention and I, I got into Luc Besson so much that I, I'd actually uh, rented out Atlantis, which I didn't realize was a complete and utter failure of an art film. Which, if you guys have, have you seen it? No. Atlantis. It is, it is montages of, of sea life with oh. music. Mm. And that is it. And it goes on for about two hours. Mm-hmm. W- without David Attenborough, it's lost on me. Did you guys see Fifth Element first or this? Because this. I think I saw Fifth Element first at the cinema mm. and then mm. saw this, but I'm trying to. Mm. Oh, mm-hmm. you and no one else then went to the cinema to see Oh, Fifth me Element. and my family loved Fifth Element when we went to see it at the cinema. <laughs> like, we love Mozart. <laughs> we were just saying off air that uh, I've only seen Fifth Element once and I, I don't remember right. too much about it. I don't don't know about you, Joe. No, yeah, I, I think I saw it. I definitely saw it after Leon. Um, I think that might have been the film school thing to watch. Um, and I, yeah, didn't watch it again. <laughs> I only bring it up just because I, I, I rewatched it recently, um, just by chance, actually, nothing to do with this. And I do remember that emotion and kind of feeling like learning about films at the time, thinking, oh, this is like French kind of thing that's in <laughs> Hollywood. This is insane. I've never seen anything like it. This is really interesting. This is what 
you know, Euro trash era of watching TV as well. Like this is yeah, Euro yeah, trash yeah, kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. And then I was, I was trying to think like, is that my impression of European cinema at the time? And I don't think I was really uh, aware that Leon is a, a, an even better representation of European cinema at the time. Cause it's more, almost more subtle and nuanced and mm-hmm. it, it, it brains it into it rather than the yeah. bombastic Jean-Paul Gaultier type fifth element. Sorry, uh, sorry, Patrick. I was going to just get back uh, to Matt's thing about film four. Um, just because it, it had quite a, a, an impact film four, I think at the time for me, you know, that, because um, I remember they used uh, they used quite a lot of Leon in the um, the commercial in, like, film four the advert. commercial yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and I think film four really did have an impact on me at, at the time because it was free you know um, and there was really good really good films on it yeah well it was it was Joe it was the we were the age when sleep didn't really matter so mm. you know you could watch a film that started at twenty <laughs> to midnight finish it and then. Go to school the next day, no problem. Yeah. That certainly was my my experience. Yeah. And I remember watching like other French. Uh, remember the horror film Switchblade Romance that I watched, and um, unfortunately, I watched uh, Gaspar Noir's Irreversible, probably too oh, as well. Um, yeah. So you know, there, there are all these like, and again, it was. Um, I felt a little bit cultured, like I yeah. also <laughs> like French cinema. Like I, 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 I felt I the same way with about, at the time. Yeah. Though. I remember yeah. that on film for yeah. yeah. But I think like film four and uh, like Studio Gaumont have quite a good relationship anyway, don't they? And that and that kind of led me to wonder about how how a film like this gets green lit, and 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 also you know we we should really talk about Luc Besson uh, and his career at this point. You know he's quite young, and I think a lot of what he achieves in this film is what gives him those big studio uh, opportunities, and and the Fifth Element. I don't know what you guys think, but he's, he, to my mind, he's demonstrating in, in this, uh, in this film that he can make and in, um, Nikita, uh, La Femme Nikita, sorry, that he can make a, a really good action film with stunts that's exciting, that's thrilling, really cheap. Cause I think the budget on Leon is what, $60 million, I think they said. Um, and it came in at 46 return, but $60 million for a film that, has got a reputation as being one of the great action films of the nineties, right? Yeah, it definitely had that appeal. I think it definitely had that appeal to a American audience, didn't it? Really yeah. kind of, as well as, um, ticking the European boxes, it, it did tick the explosions and, you know, it had all that and it was really, really mm. good. Uh, like sandwiches away, but, um, you know, it will, it, it'll happily sit next to Die Hard or something like that. I think in terms of its representation of kind of, that kind of explosive violence, you know. You know, that Die Hard's quite a character-driven action film, and and you know, you can yeah. definitely draw a parallel, yeah. especially like with it anchored by a big performance from a British actor who tries to chip the scenery and steal it as well. I think there's that comparison, and then that's quite a popular thing at the time that the British bad guy in cinema back then. Yeah, and it and it speaks to Hollywood importing these really young dynamic creative european directors so wolfgang peterson goes over to hollywood in the in the 90s roland emmerich obviously um for good and for bad um you know as jean as i said jean-pierre genet and luke besson's another one i i think um i think what we should say um and, and it does speak to um some of the themes and some of the the material uh within leon um i think we would be um remiss not to mention 
uh, unfortunately, uh, allegations have been uh, uh, put to Luke Besson, uh, eight women uh, that have come forward um, and, and made allegations against him uh, later in his career. Uh, and I, just to just to put a kind of legitimate point forward is that the a French judge has currently uh, made him an assisting witness, which in French law means that he is um, there isn't enough evidence to uh, to prosecute, but the allegations <laughs> remain, and if there is evidence of guilt, then he can be prosecuted. Um, so that's where it sits, but it's it's just an unfortunate reality um, of of these creatives from this era, it just seems to be rife, right? It's another one on the list. I, I was completely unaware of it, if I'm honest with you, until I did mm-hmm. the research into the film. Yeah, same, same here. It was quite shocking. Yeah, yeah. me too. I'm going to have to be careful with some of my phrasing because I, I wrote a lot of these notes before I found out about it. So some of my praise of, of the film, I hope it's not taken as, as condoning anyone's actions. I'm trying to keep it as, as separate well, I feel as possible. Like it, there is that retroactive thing that, that I think has happened to us all that and it can put a lot of people off watching such a film now and if they read such allegations because it may um, turn their opinion on some of the context between Leon and Matilda's relationship in the film. But, yeah. I mean, I don't want to dismiss the art of, of the film, the there's also some some problems with uh, Besson personally. Um, are, are we going to talk about that one? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, I mean, we're, we are here to to talk about the film, aren't we? But I think uh, you know what I didn't know until I started researching for the podcast was that Besson had married a 15 year old and had a child with her when she was 16, um, and that for me uh, was the. Uh, the most difficult thing, I think, to take. It's hard to separate that, isn't it? It's very yeah, difficult. It is really. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but as I say, we we would be remiss not to mention it. So, if um, if listeners want to, you know, dig dig a bit deeper, um, you know, Variety and and uh, the Hollywood Insider have all got uh, recent articles. Um, so, you know, feel free to. To, to go in and, and, and read further. But like, like you said, Joe, we're here to talk about the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll, we'll keep it to that. Um, so with that in mind, I believe it's story time with Patrick. So Patrick, <laughs> would you please give us a plot summary for Leon, the professional? Leon is the professional, an Italian hit man living his milk drinking solitary life in New York. He lives in the same building as Matilda, a 12-year-old girl who'd rather dangle her legs on the stairwell and smoke a butt than be in the same room as her abusive father. Between trips to the cinema to see Gene Kelly and brutally efficient cleaning, or fits, Leon and Matilda meet. Matilda's father, Ron's filthy piece of shit DEA agent Stansfield, who coldly conducts a symphony of death for Matilda's family, and Leon finds Matilda desperate for sanctuary. Leon takes her in and they start to enrich each other's lives. Matilda teaches Leon to read and write in, at first, reluctant an exchange, to learn how to clean to avenge her dead brother and kill Stansfield. But as Matilda goes gunning for Stansfield, she is caught, armed to the teeth, drug-crunching Stansfield too smart for her. Leon now believes in the beauty. He is Venus as a boy. He must save Matilda and storms the DEA officers in a breathless rescue. 
Stansfield orders everyone and sieges Leon's hideout as Leon invades 200 men, saves Matilda and his Aglaonema, frustrating the task force with his ruthless ability and guile. As Leon approaches light at the end of the tunnel, the promise of a renewed life with Matilda, his saviour, Stansfield rears his ugly face once more, leaving Matilda to grow her own roots. Oh, it's beautiful, Patrick. Once again, <laughs> another, another, another tear for Leon there for me. I want to talk about the, the, the sort of the opening of the film. Uh, and, and in particular, that, that POV through the city, because it reminded me of Shallow Grave, which, um, and I wonder if it was just a technique in the nineties that a lot of people were doing. And, and have any of you seen, uh, Robert Tapper's Killing Zoe, which was a sort of Pulp Fiction-y uh, rip-off crime uh, thriller? Does a very similar thing in Paris. Uh, where uh, it's a POV from a car driving through the city. Um, I know it's not quite driving. It's a little bit more dreamlike as it as it pushes through the city and then goes into Tony's. I heard the the, the choreography of that was particularly difficult because they had to hit all the lights at the right time. Uh, yeah. So they had to rehearse it to get all the green lights to keep it keep it going. And I also heard Besson talking about uh, telling a very specific small story within a big city. So it starts out extremely wide yeah. and then you end on, on Tony's. It's and, literally uh, Little Italy as well. Which yeah. yeah it's I think, uh, uh, I think, uh, I think there's a similar kind of traffic tracking shot in Fellini's Roma as well. I think where yeah. they come in to, um, and it's, it's like mounted, uh, an old beetle or something, uh, with, with the tripod extended really high and they yeah. just drive through. Uh, the city gates of Rome, and in, and it, it it sort of does. I, I subconsciously felt that actually, and that kind of traffic tracking shot is is a, is kind of strange and quite unique actually. I think. Well, the perspective um, is a bit unusual because it's too high, isn't it? It's, it's kind of yeah, it's too high. Mm. Um, really wide lens, which I'll get. Yeah. That's we've got a lot to talk about that stuff like that as well. But um, yeah, a great introduction. Really, really kind of sets the sets the the pace and the scene for. You see a car kind of pull out in front of them as well. Yeah. It's quite like that little little bits. It's interesting what you said about it focusing in on, on these characters, because one of the things I noticed this time rewatching the film is how very few members of the general public have any real interactions with our, with our main characters, including the villain. Um, It it really is like a classic three hander, really. Um, What about the old lady? Uh, well, this is true, you know. Why don't you just leave that family alone? Like, it felt like the old, you know. I'm, I'm going to uh, recall Predator Two, but it felt like the same old lady from Predator Two. Yeah, just like yeah. I don't think he gives a shit. That that line of the cigarette in mouth when he says he said go back inside. <laughs> that bit. It's it's one of my favorites. It, it is, isn't it? But it's amazing for a because you know New York has been photographed just you know. God knows how many times, but this film feels very distinct in its perspective because New York doesn't feel like New York in this film. You know, I Central Park, yeah, it could be anywhere. But can it jump forward as well? So the scene where she's in a a cable car in New York Mm. later Mm. on, and it's like, what? New York's got, and like, (laughs) I think only only a French director could say, like, I'm in New York, a cable car, obviously, and it's like, what? You know, yeah. but that's a bit later on. But um, it's, it certainly has that feel of um, un-American eyes looking on that city. You know, and, and New York yeah. obviously has a, a massive history of uh, you know it's, the, the the French have a you know a big presence there in the foundation of New York. The Statue of Liberty was obviously a gift from France to 
to New York. Um, and I really loved that kind of perspective on the, on the city. And I mm-hmm. thought it really, it really adds to the, uh, to the film. Well, if you think mm-hmm. about where it was, how it was constructed as well, all of the interiors are Paris. Pretty much, yeah, I think, yeah. uh, sound stages in Paris. And then they, they focus on stoops and uh, storefronts. And there's a moment where you see the Twin Towers, uh, where Gary, yeah. Gary Oldman's mm, going yeah. into the police building. But yeah. um, I think you're right, Gally. They, avo- they avoid obvious kind of landmark um, photography, don't they? It's just, it was just something that I really took for granted. Uh, and then watching it now with a slightly more critical eye, I was, it was really clear to me that Besson was, was, it was like an everywhere and a nowhere because it could have, it could have been anywhere. And it also, I think, adds to the, the heightened reality. You know, this isn't gritty New York of Scorsese. This is a, a it's almost like a pulp version. Yeah. A comic book. I'd say it's like yeah. a comic book, uh, mm-hmm. New York. Actually. I think yeah, also, uh, Joe, like going in, like Matt said, I was zooming in from wide in into the building, into the doorway. We're then mm. like pretty close up on eyes and hands and yeah. the interchange yeah. between Tony and Leon, which is a really yeah. interesting way to introduce your character. Something cool, the glasses. There's, there's some interesting stuff like photographically. I think it's called uh, Thierry Arbogast. We should name check him because mm-hmm. the, the photography is beautiful. Um, like the depth of field, Joe will know much more about this, but the depth of field I thought was really interesting. There's a very shallow focus a lot of the time. Uh, it focuses mm-hmm. on the, like the center of the frame. So you've got foregrounds out and you've got backgrounds out. But then there's a shot of Matilda's face at one point where her face is in, but her choker necklace is out. So it's like this really crisp focus. It wants you to focus on specific parts of the frame. And when that's used really thoughtfully and sparingly, I think it's really interesting. Yeah. There's definitely a, a shot. I think it's the shot where Oldman kind of clocks that it's Leon at the end. Spoiler alert! Um, and he kind of just peers around the corner, mm. and they they go they go from because there's a prestigious use of wide lenses in this film, and it's really difficult to get. Uh, you don't get um, shallow depth of field with wide lenses. So, but then when they do use the longer lenses, which give you that really shallow depth of field, it really punctuates. You know, the, 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 it's so well used to punctuate, um, I think, mm. you know. <laughs> and I think what Matt, you're saying as well about the, um, the close ups is that, um, Besson has cast this film with very, very interesting actors who have got very interesting faces. Like, mm. uh, Danny Aiolo is, you know, okay. He looks like an Italian heavy, could play a gangster, whatever that could have been. Numerous actors um, of Italian descent or non-Italian descent uh, that could have played that, but he's got quite an interesting face. So when they when they pull in close, you know, you can see all of his all of his blemishes. And mm. uh, Jean Renault is another one with a very fascinating face. Yeah. Mm. One of the things that really um, I thought I got this time was uh, the introduction of Leon in particular. The the idea that he's slightly concealed in those opening exchanges and uh, mm. what a lovely glass of milk by the way i mean that's how you photograph yeah. milk right it looks uh, you know <laughs> uh, they would be happy with that in an advert but yeah. you you know you get like little glimpses and it's very yeah. 90s you know those circular sunglasses i'm pretty sure they don't sell them anymore unless you're the, in, a, the reflection in a, in a car boot yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> the reflection it's 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 kind of like it, yeah and it, and it, i think it's kind of um it's setting you up isn't it it's kind of that that introduction that that first scene where they're in the tonys and i think uh, Besson is sort of really 
trying to um, bring you into his his world with quite um, quite extreme use of like close-ups and uh, not, you know not not stereotypical coverage of a pretty basic two-hander. I wanted to talk about yeah. the the way the that three characters were introduced because I thought it's the strongest um, way I've I've seen it done in in a long time. Like Leon's mystique is kind of held up until we finally meet him. It's like it, not his assassin persona, but like the real him. So the bit you're talking about, Gally, we don't really see the, the real him. And mm-hmm. then uh, we don't, uh, until he's going into um, the shop from his apartment, uh, he's, he's kept almost in, entirely in shadow. And there's a great shot where he kind of, his shadow looms over the guy in the hotel. That, the guy downstairs. So that, that also will play into a bit of a theme throughout where, so you've got this kind of the use of light uh, as an in, as like an interaction with the characters, you know, uh, and that's the first time it, it happens really because you, you don't see Leon, you see his shadow yeah. on, on the on the on the um, the, the bus by where he is, uh, and then it it's kind of the, the, the I mean skipping ahead. So obviously the the, the, uh, the scene where um, Matilda's waiting at the door and the door opens and the light hits her, yeah. and then. Uh, also, at the end, uh, where the where the, the light hits Leon as he's is he's leaving. Yeah, um, it's like the other so, side of that coin, isn't it? It's like the sh- yeah, shadow on him, and then the light yeah. on him. Yeah, it's really really clever, and I think um, something obviously you pick, pick up with a critical eye later on. But I think what when you first watch it, 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 it does have that effect as well. It does, it does, um, it, you know, subconsciously knows what's what effect it's going to have on you as an audience. Mm-hmm. There, there's um, Matilda's introduction too is really nice. It's really subtle, but I, I always yeah. bang on about what is the character doing when we first see them because it's a really good shorthand. Uh, she's a little girl smoking with a bruised face and she's miserable. We, we know everything about her from one image. Seeking attention it's, as well, which is and, what I like. Yeah, yeah. And then the legs as well. It's, the, it's those crazy, uh, leggings that have got yeah. comic book things on. Uh, and I think that, is it the, f- the first shot is looking over, looking down past her yep. legs? Yeah. Yeah. comes up the stairs and then it, and then, then it goes like up. A, a, a yeah. jib up. Yeah. Of her legs. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Why did you hide a cigarette? This building's full of rats. I don't want my old man to find out. Got enough problems. What happened? I fell off my bike. Tell my dad about the cigarette, okay? And uh, what Leon, uh, Leon with her as well, he's not a predator. He, he's he's reluctant to even converse with her. Like the father is the abusive one and he's the degenerate. And uh, uh, Leon appears to have her best interests at heart. And then one more, Oldman's introduction is interesting too because we're, we're on the back of his head as he's listening to his headphones. And then when he turns around, uh, he's almost disfigured. It's kind of sinister and, uh, it's a beautiful shorthand to the character. And then, and then as soon as he sniffs Matilda's dad, we know he's a fucking maniac. And yeah. that's it. It's all, it's all on. Yeah, indeed. Indeed. Well, let's, let's concentrate on Leon because one of the things, again, you're right, Matt. It, all three of the main characters' introductions are strong. Um, but one of the things that Le- Besson establishes very, very early on is the skill with which Leon, um, 
possesses. So it's, um, Joe, you said comic book, and that is definitely what I got. The heightened reality. You know, you could ask the question, like, how did he get into the air vent to <laughs> hang a guard and then also be down below? It's almost superhero-like, um, but you never question it because it's done with such skill and the 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 fact that we see it from the uh from the perspective of the the people that are being hunted is just uh it's just genius because immediately you go well this guy's just phenomenal at what he does i don't need to see another scene of leon killing anybody i've got it all in the first 5 minutes when he's uh tackling the the fat guy there's a slight tie into um la femme nikita where uh, there's a there's a firefight in a kitchen and she the only way she can escape is by diving down a uh, like a chute in the in the kitchen and she ends up going like fully diving down it the stunt is incredible and she ends up in a, a bin at the end of this shoot and it's all done practically and again it's a heightened a heightened thing exactly like leon and it, it plays really well Be- besson's got like kind of a magic touch i think when it comes to some of that stuff yeah i mean there's, there's, a, there's a really specific sort of so when he when he when he when the blade appears uh from the darkness onto the onto the fat guy's throat and it's, Chris Moyles. Uh, like, <laughs> Chris Moyles. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I can't unsee it now. I can't see it. Sorry. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, sorry. No, you know. um, so that is really, um, you know, because it's it's so frenetic, you know, because he's just shooting and he's, he's, he's obviously shooting himself and shooting and all his, all, his, all his sleazy bodyguards, all his diehard bodyguards have been, like, um, dispatched and he's on his own and he backs into that little corner um, and then it just out of the darkness that it appears, um, and the sound design is amazing, obviously, yeah. at that point. Um, but specifically, there's the cut as well. So you, he comes out of the dark, like he comes out of jet black darkness, you know, absolute darkness, and appears. And there's the little scene where they're on the phone and stuff. And then, um, you know, the, the, the blade disappears, and then it cuts, American cuts out, you know, straight, cuts out straight down the line to a wider shot. And you can see detail in the shadow then of the corridor behind him, and Leon's nowhere to be seen, you know. But mm-hmm. the time, the, the time that the cut doesn't work, you know, he should, he should be there, but he's not. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's really, really clever, really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then like the reveal, and you can understand why Besson would uh, would not show this is that he doesn't wear the right size trouser. Um, he's got a little. Um, tea cozy on his head um there's there's uh you know and he loves two quarters of milk i mean it's it's kind of pretty amazing to me watching this now and i've got to say leon uh, jean renault's performance in this is the reason why i watched godzilla in the cinema because i knew he was going to be in the godzilla in 97 and i was so devastated uh, and it was the same with when De Palma deployed him in Mission Impossible. I was gutted he was the bad guy in it because all of my affection for, for Jean Renault, the actor, comes from his portrayal of Leon in this film. Because it's wonderful, right? I mean, I don't really know how he manages to be stone cold killer and also melt your heart like lovable, lovable assassin. It's just so I've, 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 I've worked with him. I worked with Jean Renault on a Bentley advert, wow. a Bentley car advert. Um, he was in for a day. Uh, I, I used to, I used to do a, a little contract doing um, jobs for uh, uh, the Bentley. So when you buy a Bentley car, you get a DVD of how it's made, a Blu-ray, I would imagine, uh, of how it's made. So they commission these quite high production value films where we go into the um, into the factory 
in crew and show you how everything's made. And but he is he's he's a he's got loads of Bentleys and he's he became like the face of Bentley. And uh, we had a day with him and he was great. You know, he was he was such a affable and friendly and kind of just uh, yeah. As you would expect, you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but this was a different one. Well, his decision to to play Leon um, slightly mentally slow is one of the explanations, I think, Gally, to what you were were saying. It's like a very brave Mm. decision and it's a very effective one because we don't see him as a threat to Matilda. And that was actually Renault's idea, I believe, from an interview I saw. Um, He can't read. Um, He says he's been busy, but is he really remedial? You know, um, th- th- this whole thing allowed Matilda to control that relationship and, and tell us straight away mm. that he didn't have any sexual designs on her. And I think that was important to him. Yeah. Um, he's just very naive the way he creates his relationships. And that, that ties into something like, uh, someone like Tony, uh, too. Yeah. Um, I, I was sure Tony was going to rip him off, but I think he, I'm not too sure what does happen, but I think he takes a shine to Matilda and ultimately does the right thing. We, we hope. But, um, yeah, he, uh, Renault is, is, is terrific. Well, here's a, here's a question, guys. Um, does, do you think that Leon has like a, a, a version of Asperger's syndrome or is he just mentally stunted? Because one of the things that Besson repeats is his routine. So mm-hmm. he has, he's got a very unfulfilled life outside of, um, outside of being a cleaner, you know, puts the plant out same, same time. He, he's very methodical. He's got an ex- extremely tight routine. And obviously the ironing is interesting. Is, uh, yeah, that ties into what you're the, saying. Yeah. Well, anyone who uses starch is a meticulous individual. It's <laughs> as simple yeah. as, but, but the, the idea that his routine is then disrupted by this, this chaos in the form of Matilda. And he really does struggle to handle that in the, in the beginnings of their, their relationship. So I just wondered what you what you thought, or whether it was just a case that he stopped at a certain age mentally, and that's what Rajon Renault is 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 playing on. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 in my notes, actually, for some reason, I've got cyborg. Um, <laughs> like I, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm wrong. I, you know, I kind of dismissed them notes. But, I, um, you, you could make a parallel to Terminator Two in a way, John Connor and the yeah. and the. The T100 with it, yeah. not, not knowing how to process human relationships, etc. Yeah, but I mean, I think, I, I don't know whether it's his job that's driven into that. You know, I think that there is um, a meticulous, you know, a meticulousness to his, the way that he carries out his job. And I think that, you know, that probably feeds back into his personal life. But then again, you know, I don't really want to know anything about his personal life as such. You know, I'm kind of happy just to see how he. There's a hint to his background. Um, yeah, which does open it up a bit, doesn't it? In the, in the yeah. theatrical cut. Yeah. Are you talking about the story of, of, of his former... No, it t- doesn't Tony say to him, like, you, you, you've been in trouble because of a woman before? And, and he has a look. Yeah. But I, the way I read it, Gally, I think he just lacks the social skills. I mm. think he's closed himself off quite a bit and he hasn't really had that human touch. Tony's all business. You know, has he had anyone in America to show him... Um, kind of affection and and just like normality you know mm-hmm. when uh and it, it, it's odd because then he had he has this beautiful little touch of humor when he sees a little girl who's just lost her brother and he brings out piggy uh yeah. one of my favorite oh, yeah. bits which is Hi, <laughs> which, which always makes me laugh but i just think it's a beautiful moment and yeah has he been craving 
being able to use his humor because he doesn't mm. have those people around him. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of that there. Um, mm. The fact that he owns a pig oven mitt speaks volumes, doesn't it? You don't have a pig in your kitchen. Yes, I do. It was just in there and I didn't see any goddamn pig. Don't move, I'll get him. Piggy, Piggy, where are you? Oh, there you are. Well, he goes to the cinema. There's the childlike uh, yeah. uh, astonishment at the cinema and w- watching that, and he, which is tells you a lot about who, who he is as well, Gally. But he's looking around. He wants to enjoy that moment yeah. with someone, and he doesn't have anyone with him. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. It, that is childlike as well, isn't it? You know, that, it, it, that completely kind of... childlike. And then when he dresses, when he does, they play the game, um, and he comes out as John Wayne, and he. You know, he's unsure of it and, you know, like, did he, he's not disappointed that she didn't get it. I think he's more disappointed that, did I do a good enough job? Like, John Wayne's obviously a hero he's seen in the cinema and all of that. I, he is a child, really. Um, and, and she, Matt said he, she's in control. Is she manipulating him? I, I don't know whether she just recognizes that she can help. There's a weird thing because uh, Besson has said that Leon stopped growing at 15. He blocked himself. It was the trauma of losing his love, uh, which I, I'm not sure, depending on which version you've seen, if it's in everything. I hope it's in the mm. theatrical. But No, um, I think it's in the theatrical as well, Matt. Tony does say it in the theatrical. Um, it's a hint more than a description. Yeah. So like him and Matilda it, it, and this awkwardness, it's really, it's really interesting. And it's a worthy plot to explore, as controversial as it may be. They're both childlike, but they're also both adult in terms of certain aspects of themselves. So Leon's profession, he's not as innocent as he seems. I mean, he's whacking people. Um, he's not, Besson said he's not 16, he's 15. And he was very specific about that. And, and he, which I took as a comment on like a burgeoning adolescence and a person lacking in sexual maturity, maybe. Uh, he has the, the age in France. Yeah, yeah, maybe the legal uh, It's age. probably lower <laughs> knowing the French. But um the he's a person lacking in sexual maturity. He has the emotional core of a child. And and despite mm. being aged just twelve, Matilda's kind of a, advanced femininity and yeah. her persuasive abilities. She's got this high intelligence and she's wise beyond her years. Mm. So there's a weird thing where they're both young and they're both old, and there's this weird clash. Yeah. But, it, but I think yeah. what, what bonds them is their past relationships. Hers is one with her brother. She, she says, I was more of a mother to him than, than anyone. And his is a failed relationship or a love. So maybe he just doesn't want to allow himself to get hurt again and open up and, and have that. But she has that relationship with her brother that she maybe takes into Leon and sees that he needs a bit of care and attention, which is... Of course, where we have the plant and the kind of metaphor, they're growing roots and taking care of something that he says is his best paint. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that would normally, that would ding for me as like, Oh, with an obvious metaphor walking around the film. But for whatever reason in Leon, it just, it works for me because I don't think Besson 
it's it's throughout the film but he never lingers on it too much you know you see him take care of the plant there's one reference yeah. to it being his best mate because it doesn't mm. talk back and uh, doesn't cause any issues it doesn't have roots and then, like him and then yeah and then by the end mm. it's like oh there's my payoff well done there will be a plant that will grow in the middle of a in the middle of a, a, a green outside of a school. It's it, like, it would it's definitely wonderful. die. In that, in it would definitely die. I mean, she didn't check the soil slit. It could be <laughs> acidic for all she knows. I have a bit in, in Critics Corner for that. I'll wait, though. The, the final bit on, on Leon um, that I had as well was just um, that we can all we can all empathise with his scenario, right? He's an immigrant in a city where he doesn't know anybody. Um, I'm not suggesting that we're all we're all immigrants. We've all moved to places or or felt lonely. And and Matilda is the other side of that coin. She's got a family, but she's an outcast with a little brother. They don't quite fit in. And then as like odds, they as a parent, they they somehow, you know, in in they grow and develop through being outcast together. And that's why I think it's important that we don't really see them interact too much with the world because it kind of adds more weight to that. Uh, there was a thing about Matilda's clothing, which was a bit of a, a point of contention for some people. Um, I, I just thought they were trying to make her look cool. I think it's very European dress, isn't it? Like the, the, the bob and everything. Yeah, like some uh, Janet Maslin, um, who we'll return to later, uh, they said they made her look like a mini Parisian streetwalker and certainly like a pederast delight. That was her quote, which I think is totally... That's more offensive than anything in the film for me. Um, yeah. Oh, well, that, yeah. well, that sounds like a critic that didn't watch Besson's first film, La Femme de Quita, mm-hmm. where yeah. it's got the same haircut virtually. Yeah. yeah. So I wouldn't, yeah. I, I don't I think mean, it's, I, they're not trying to make her look like a hooker. They're, 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 they just designed a cool costume. And besides, like, how could you dress her that would make this re- relationship more appropriate? If you put her in uh, a girly summer dress, you're in Lolita territory and then all of a sudden you're in you're in trouble again. You can't really win. And also, Matt, when they play the game and she dresses as Monroe and Madonna. There has to be a contrast. With it. That there's there's a the, the director's making a point that it's an uncomfortable uh moment for him and it's because she's dressed in a feminine uh, way. Or acting a bit provocatively, perhaps. Mm. And I think that's the important bit there to, to counter well, I, I also wonder, Matt, if the critic is probably not recognizing that the reason she feels like they've dressed her that way is because Portman is delivering what is a remarkable performance for a child actor. Yeah. Like she, she plays it well beyond her years and it's so naturalistic. It just make you wonder. I'm not going to throw shade at George, but she's so <laughs> bad in the prequels, um, trilogy that, Clearly, Besson managed to 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 just harness this kind of natural talent because she's she's so she's so strong in this that I never ever question. And the only other time I've seen it in recent history is uh, is Haley Joel in in AI, where I mm. never look at him as a child actor. I'm just looking at him as a character. Yeah. Abigail same with Matilda. Miss Sunshine is quite yeah yeah yeah. It, it's yeah. one of the best well. film debuts ever i think like um i know yeah. me me and you watched um beautiful girls joe do you remember watching that on uh dvd she's excellent in that as uh, she's slightly older in that but again um it's kind of a controversial performance but um i i noted down you know uh christina ritchie and Liv tyler were up for this one too yeah which would have been interesting, but um, I mean, uh, there, there is there is a bit of a parallel to Buffalo '66 as well. I think, yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah. Um, 
what you're saying, Gally, about the um, uh, the George Lucas stuff is that when when you stick an actor or an actress or whoever in in a in a green screen room with nothing to no one to act with with Hayden Christensen, <laughs> well, that's what you get. It's- are you suggesting that you can't operate with a floating CGI apple? Yeah, like a, a, a tennis ball on a string or whatever they're doing. It's like, <laughs> that's where we're going. And you, you put someone in a room with real people and, and that's what you get. And, and ki- kids and kids are notoriously good. Like if you get a, a good child actor, um, uh, I think Besson talked about it. Um, whatever you ask them to do, that they'll, spe- they will do it specifically um without questioning it too much um because they're just in that frame of mind as a kid you know they don't really they don't really have a process yet so in a way if you find someone really good they're a joy to work with i think also portman is like uber smart um she went to harvard when she grew up but her parents had like little clauses in her contract and all they were really bothered about was her smoking and they wanted her character to quit smoking in the film and that the violence and everything else they were, they were fine with. So I think they talk a lot. But isn't, it, but isn't that just a, a beautiful, happy accident, Patrick? Because the smoking, again, is another character beat yeah. that shows the relationship between her and Leon. And it, and it signifies um, one of my favorite bits in the entire film is when he's speaking with Tony and then he sees uh, yeah. some some comic book goon outside talking to her and uh, he doesn't look like a weirdo. Yeah. He just uh, look, look like a weirdo. Uh, (laughs) But what he doesn't do is he doesn't chastise her and tell her to quit smoking and stop swearing. He he asks her, he says, I would like you to, to, to speak nice and also (laughs) stop smoking. But he doesn't like, it's just wonderful. And that, and that is such a great scene because then she just goes, okay. And you just immediately like fall in love with this dynamic between the, the two of them. The thing there is like the, the scene that, um, comes next is where she declares her love for him. So mm-hmm. I think th- those two are really closely tied, those two scenes, because she sees he's either being really protective of her or loving or caring or, or even jealous, which I think it might be. And then when she says she loves him, Leon rightly dismisses it. But then in another kind of Luke Besson spanner in the works moment, as soon as he leaves and he goes out into the corridor, he realizes that he loves her too. Mm-hmm. And he collapses against the wall because it's just the, the pain of knowing that that's completely wrong. And, uh, and these lines are all blurring. Um, I, the think, music I think he doesn't understand the love at the time as well. I think is a conflict of what is going on. I, I, and I, I also read it slightly differently, Matt. I mean, yeah. you know, feel free to challenge, but I, I saw that as, cause he was about to go out and do a job. And in that job, you know, he, he's got something to live for now. And hence he, he gets, he gets caught. He gets clipped, doesn't he? He's been, clearly he's been injured, which we've never seen. We'd never seen him before. When he comes back from that hit, he's injured. So he's, yeah, we, yeah, there's the ruthless sufficiency of before where he wouldn't get injured and he's capable. Yeah. He's now affected and it's yeah. maybe. He was, he was all business. So whenever yeah. he was walking, he's, cause again, Renault, uh, I'll just be waxing his car all day long, but he's got a, a, a very awkward gait when he walks and it's, it's almost like he can't wait to get to where he's got to go and he can't wait to get home. He doesn't want to, to, to dwell or, or sort of live in the moment. He's just like, let me get to point A and then get back to B. And, so I never saw it as him, him going, Oh God, I'm in love with. I saw it as more of him recognizing that 
I'm about to go and do something very dangerous. I might die and never see her again. That's how I saw it. In in terms of like an an abstract as far as what kind of love that is, I suppose. But like yes, the, the, yes. the contract that they're entering into with one another is not as pure or as moral as he originally thought. That's how I read it. And I think these lines blurring was too much for audience, certain audiences. And that's why there's different cuts of the film. And, but being uncomfortable is perhaps what we need here. Like I, you don't have to agree with the actions of characters to appreciate the art of a film. We can be uncomfortable and appreciate how, how brilliant a film is. And we, we should be able to detach it. And I think critics surely should be able to. And, and again, that's. And another can of worms there with the with the critical response to the film. Well, I ma- I messaged you, Matt, didn't I? And uh, I don't mean to make light of it because they're dealing with quite adult themes here, especially that implied possible um, sexual connotations between the two characters. But if you removed that from this film, you have cop and a half with Burt Reynolds. <laughs> like you really do. Like because that is the. I'm not suggesting that it has to be in there, but you'd have to replace it with something that's also dealing with either controversial or hot topic or some kind of interesting fascinating dynamic between the two otherwise Mm. it's just another sort of buddy assassin Mm. crime thriller that doesn't really and it wouldn't focus on the characters because then it would just be an action film uh, through and through we'd have another you know one of the interesting bits we haven't even talked about stansfield i don't know how we've managed to (laughs) avoid oldman he'll be fuming um but one of the one of the interesting bits is in act two of this of this action film that everyone loves there is no action. There is mm. a, there is just character development. There are uh, John Wayne impressions. It's really light, isn't it? It's really light. You know, it's really. Um... It goes completely in a direction that the film at the beginning would you would never thought would go, and that's what that's what gets me invested. So by the end, I'm I'm in. I'm like I care about these people so much that all the action that happens uh, in the Act Three just has so much impact for me. So winding back a bit, you know, where, where Matilda asks, is life always this hard or just when you're a kid? Uh, and Leon sort of snaps back or, or is that this, you know, it's that kind of... I, I like his honesty bit. there. I, I think that's yeah, cool. Yeah, and it sums it up a bit. It sums it like just in those two sort of bits of dialogue, that kind of really, that really kind of really sets it up, you know, sets sets up the relationship. How how creepy did you find it? Because like, I it, there's a lot of dismissive, sort of virtue signaling going on i think with especially with with like the the critical response it's uh like they do declare their love but they don't act upon it uh there's some references in the in the long the longer version where she she says she wants to be with leon for her first time which is one of the more uncomfortable moments but it's Mm. supposed to be um I, i think the other thing with like sometimes with girls they develop crushes it's just a fact it's just something that happens and like and Lee- boys, Matt, don't don't dismiss and boys. boys. Oh, I bloody love Sandra Bullock as a kid. Don't dismiss me. Leon is is kind of for the most part a responsible guy, and he and he has the morals to keep her safe. Like I, I get the criticism, mm-hmm. but I don't see anything mm-hmm. like lascivious in Leon. Um, mm-hmm. And someone triggered by it might call me naive for not seeing it, but like I, I just maybe it's because I, I want to like the film. And I don't want it mm. to be tainted. So I, I read it the same way, Matt. I agree. One of the more disturbing ones for me was when he when he puts the gun to her head and yeah, yeah, he yeah. wakes up in the middle of the night and it's like he's gonna he's gonna clean her because it's the only thing he knows. And that's when we ask: Is is he fully compost? That's quite early on. Is it? That, that's quite early on, and I think that kind of yeah. that's 
part of his awakening in a way. It, it's and, disturbing you know, though, because like, how 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 much is this guy in control of what he's doing? You, you, you're not too sure about him at that point. Well, he sees her as a problem, and a problem. Most problems he's ever dealt with, he disposes of them. Um, yeah. Speaking of problems. Or maybe not problems, but I don't know how we've managed to go an hour and poor Gary Oldman. I think he's going to probably write a letter to us. He's not listening anymore. Excuse me. There's a performance over here. Um, (laughs) So what do we think then? What? Because Matt, we've talked about this before. Patrick, you know, we've talked about this before on the show about heroes and villains, night and day, shade and contrast. Of course, Gary Oldman is the, in 95 is, is the actual star. You know, no one knows who Jean Reno is outside of France. Um, really, uh, Natalie Portman, Charles, Charles Starfer's film and, you know, Danny Aiello. I love you. Seeing you in plenty, but he's not, he's not the, he's, <laughs> he's not, not going to bring draw. me to the yard. No, he's no. not going to draw. So, so re- realistically, Gar- Gary Oldman, Dracula himself. Um, what <laughs> more time? Sid, Dracula. Dracula. Well, I'm just going for the hammy. <laughs> Dracula. That there's a um an amazing outtakes reel in that there's an HBO making of that I've put in the playlist that we'll put on the site, and where he's riffing on that Mozart bit that we talked about, where he's saying uh, he's a little too light, and he's sort of playing on the the counter with his fingers, and he looks in the mirror and he says, uh, "I look good," and it's all like this whole reel of just wonderful improvisations, <laughs> and like the, the first big laugh of the film for me was when he he pops his benzos or whatever he's got and and there's that great shot from above uh like um and and he's going on about beethoven it's just really really funny his accents all over but no one cares no one cares he hasn't got a new york accent well we haven't even spoke about leon's accent which isn't italian oh yeah the italian hitman yeah yeah Yeah, right (laughs) yeah but he's not italian is he he's the uh, the italian type um, I think they, that's how they get away with oh, it. The French, like, oh, French. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. They're all Mediterranean. It's fine. Uh, Matt, that top shot when he takes that first, um, tablet, drug, whatever, yeah. apparently they had to stick like a broomstick up his back so that his head wouldn't go too far back no and out of focus. That's to keep him in focus. <laughs> so ah, it's just yeah. a hilt in there and like, Gary Oldman can't hit his marks. He needs a broom up. (laughs) My favorite, my other favorite Oldman moment is, or like stalk backstory is apparently, you know, he says, get, get me everyone. What do you mean? Everyone. Apparently he said to the, the sound recordist, like, I'm going to try something here. So watch the levels. Everyone. (laughs) And the the sniffing, the sniffing thing as well. That was, you know, where he's, where he smells Matilda's dad. That was supposed, I mean, supposedly that was uh, improvised and the the actor didn't know anything, but I don't know how they can do that because the the coverage is sort of 180 degrees forwards and back. So they obviously, there was obviously one of the takes would have been. They are, they are there. They are the breadcrumbs left for podcasts like ourselves to, to wax over. But what do we think then about Oldman? Because, you know, Leon is very, he's very measured. Uh, one of the things I love again about Renault's performance and uh, that really gets, draws me in is his very kind of slow cadence and, and very, you know, when he calls that kid a weirdo, it's like, he's a weirdo. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very slow. So then to have the contrast of the villain being, I mean, he's beyond 11. I mean, this yeah. is, this is unleashed, Oldman unleashed, but according to Oldman and I, and what, if you, if you find the interview, if you think he's mad in the film, What's what he's wearing in an interview? He's got a he's got a bowler hat on. No, that that's he, he's shooting something else. 
Oh, is he? Oh, I yeah. thought that was what he was just about. <laughs> he, he's on set. I thought, I, thought, I thought that was Oldman Unleashed in, like, um, in <laughs> Brixton with his, yeah. with his fucking huge hat on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he's shooting, but he, he was doing something else. But does it work? Because um, yeah. I used Danielle as a bit of a barometer, and she'd never seen the film. And we watched it um, a couple of evenings ago, and she found him to be too much but i i personally think that because he's he's not actually in the film that a great deal and as i said because act two is mm. is not really stans stansfield driven until ma- the the chance yeah. meeting of matilda and him in the apartment you kind of need a big performance so he looms large over the film i mean that's how i saw it but he is when well, he shoots that when that granny comes out he shoots it i mean it's <laughs> It's it's comical, isn't it? It's just brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I, I was just waiting for him to come back on screen again. And I think you're yeah. right, you sparingly. My my second big laugh was when he's going mad with the pots and pans in the kitchen. It, it's all kind of reminiscent of uh, Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet a little bit. Uh, it's funny, but it's also terrifying. Um, when he's he's talking about the hole in his suit and he's like, what do you want me to do, kill him again and all... all no, that, that's something else. That's uh, that's the Rock. I'm sorry. No, that's that's when he's no, you're going into the Rock, yeah. But when he when his he's already suit has been caught and he's just like, fuck, yeah. And, uh, it's just, but you get you get the sense that this guy is not to be trifled with because even his own men are they're petrified of him. I think the the, the thing that grounds it uh, that's really important for me that makes it work as a whole is like he's off the charts loony for most of it, but then there's a scene in the bathroom with him and Matilda. And that's like the exception. Uh, and because there's no laughs in that, it's just him and Matilda and we're concerned, like it's not funny anymore. And if, if you can go from one extreme to another like that, I think that's a sign of a really great actor. What filthy piece of shit did I do now? You killed my brother. And you want to join him? No. It's always the same thing. It's when you start to become really afraid of death that you learn to appreciate life. Do you like life, sweetheart? in taking a life if it's from a person who doesn't care about it there's a wonderful character reveal as well in his dialogue where because he's like you say he's been off the chain we don't really know a great deal about him he's a corrupt cop i mean again part of besson's uh trickery is that it's completely implausible what happens when he guns down an entire family um you know Internal affairs would have him bang to rights. Line of duty, AC-12 will have him the next day. You know, Superintendent uh, Hastings will have a field day. But that that kind of we don't we don't worry about it because it's all part and parcel of this heightened reality. But the 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 dialogue he says um, about how he takes he derives no pleasure 
from killing people that don't appreciate life. And there is something just really quite spooky about that dialogue, especially when he's saying it to a 12 year old girl. I, I wasn't clear that they were cops to start, you know? So yeah. That, I think uh, you're supposed to feel that, aren't you? Yeah. So that first, you know, obviously the massacre, um, in, in Matilda's house. Um, I just think they're drug dealers, you know, and I think he's like a really, you know, awful drug dealer. And then, the, the line, you know, where he, you know, uh, what's he called? The, the, the Rasta, the white Rasta guy, they, they, they have to leave him, don't they? And, yeah. uh, and the line through the beaded curtain of, you know, tell them we were doing. That, that's job. the film four trailer that you were talking about it's when he like, comes through those beads. Like, yeah. He, like, he, he doesn't come through them on that line. He's, it's, he reads it. He comes through them w- yeah. when he approaches the father, but that line is shot, shot through them. Uh, you know, and the, it's, I mean, wow, it's, it's brilliant. Amazing. Amazing. He's great. Do you guys think that, uh, Oldman stole the Rasta look for Drexel for your romance? <laughs> I think it's the same, it's the same year, isn't it? I was going to say, like, it's a different year. I, I think know. it's 95, is true romance. True romance. Or is, I, oh, okay. Wow. There you go then. Might have been. Oh, it's released the next year. It'd be about the same time. Yeah. 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 About the same time, isn't it? Just going back to like first impressions at the beginning of the episode, which I, yeah. I think with Oldman at the time when I was younger, this is what caught my eye a lot was Oldman's performance. You know, when I was younger, I was like, Oldman's amazing, blah, blah, blah. and incredible and really like wowed me. Um, in fact, him and Alan Rickman became big heroes of mine at that time because of Sherwood, um, Sherwood Nottingham and, and this film. And, um, now I can f- far more appreciate Renault's performance in Portman's. You know, you grow up and you understand that. That might be the more impressive performances then. But Besson talks about balance. And while he is like this psychotic, unpredictable character, I do think, like, as Matt pointed on, there's a lot of balance in Alden's character. We, we understand he's very capable. You know, he, he figures out that Matilda is chasing him. No one else does. He figures out that Leon has, um, duped everyone when, when he escapes the apartment at the end. And he's just, proper cold he clears that that hallway because he wants to get leon and he's very cold and calculated but at the same time he's just enabled by the police the dea or the police isn't he it's also you know, like uh, tell him we were doing our job and when he's in- investigating like he grabs a gun he shoots my guy we what do you want to say i lost a good man here and he's just he, he's very calculated and very i i, I just love the bit when he tries to give an idea, a reason for his actions to matilda's dad it says beethoven Big opening, it gets a little bit boring in the middle. That's why I stopped. You know, like <laughs> it's just incredible. I think there's a, a little detail where um, Leon has been performing hits for Stansfield through Tony mm, as well. Yeah. So that's mm. another weird little ironic detail that's kind of running through it. They're aware of each other, but not directly. Uh, but there's, a, I mean, there's, a, there's an amazing tracking shot where he get where he gets out of a. Um, I can't really remember what. What, what the reason for it was, but he gets out of uh, the car outside the DA and, and the tr- it's like a, a crab tracking shot with him and takes him into the, into the entrance. But it's, it's such a wide lens. It's like crazy wide the lens and it's a really technically masterful shot in terms of how they've uh, pulled it off. But 
the impression it gives you is this really distortion there. Like everything distorts around him as he moves because of the lens. Mm. As he, he stays in the center and we track with him and all the columns and the, the architecture of the building just distorts and warps around him as he goes in. And it's like, it's just masterful filmmaking and, and, and like lens choice and, and, um, and photography. And it, 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 it wouldn't work. And if Oldman, wasn't performing like that, you know. It, it goes hand in hand with the performance. It's amazing. Besson operates his own camera. And like, with the exception of all the stuff I did at film school, because I was just really intimidated by 16, I just stuck to my monitor and sort of frame, you know, helped frame things that way and kept an eye on it that way. How do you, how do you feel about that and, and the, the process of directors uh, operating? Or, I mean, I'd be, I'd, I, you know, it's, it's a bit of a throwaway comment that he direct, directs, that he operates, because I'd be interested to know how much he operates, whether he operates at all. Mm. Um, I, I don't believe he would operate at all. You know, it's like Kubrick operates, you know, but he doesn't yeah. operate at all. Not everything. Um, no, and I, I, I couldn't really comment, um, on, on it uh, without knowing exactly what he's operating and all that. Generally all speaking, that. if, if they're talented enough, like photographically, you'd be all right with it, but. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I think I've never really worked on a show where the directors have operated, so I, um, are they allowed to because really... of the union stuff? No, they are because I've I've witnessed it and it was um, terrifying. Mm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on, um, <laughs> just to make a comparison, Doug Lyman on Edge of Tomorrow, he would often amidst this battle scenes grab a handheld and on the mm. radio be like, "Lyman's got a, Lyman's got a camera. Everyone down. Everyone hide. <laughs> Get out of the shop because he's just three sixty and he just do what he wants." And it was kind of unrehearsed that way. Mm, but yeah. I get a feeling that Besson's are far more rehearsed when he's operating and he's picking and choosing yeah. his camera rather than grabbing something up and just shooting for like, right, I want to shoot yeah. something. And this is, I mean, this is, this is obviously a single camera shoot, you know, because of the, the coverage. You can see that and there's a lot of methodical decisions are made. I mean, I wanted to, I was going to get onto it, but I think now, now's the time to get onto it is the, we're kind of going back to Leon and Matilda a bit, but, the use of the height of the lens for all of their conversations, it, when you watch it, I watched it, I've watched it about four times over the last two weeks to prep for this. And like, I watched it last night um, and I paid particular attention to the height of the lens when the characters and the, and the position of the character in terms of the story and who is on top of who else is it's really masterful in this. It's really like so subtle, but it's quite often, you know, we're looking down on Leon and up on Matilda in points. And it, it re- so you're talking about who has the power in that, in that dynamic yes, yeah, and the height yeah, of the camera yeah, reflecting it. Yeah. And how, yes, totally. And how, and, and that's a really common sort of gr- uh, the, uh, the grammar of filmmaking. That's a really common sort of hmm. known technique, but it's just really well done in this. I know, Joe. There's a few times when they're talking at a table when they're on a, yeah. a level pegging, which yeah, and it's like eye lines and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, I mean, this is, this is really like nitpicking, um, but it does obviously come through into the audience experience. But it is worth it's it's a real sort of masterclass in that. You know, if you're going to teach that, um, I would use those as examples of how to do lens height and eye lines. I, I got to agree, Joe, about whether Besson's operating the camera throughout the entire shoot because there's a lot of um slow push-ins and mm-hmm. uh, you know if i'm putting myself in um in the director's uh, 
chair in that one. I don't want to be focused on the pushing. I want to be focused on the performance. So I yeah. just can't, I can't, yeah. I can imagine maybe for the, the big, there's a lot of big tracking shots. Maybe yeah. he's, um, maybe he's being dollied around, but there's quite a few, um, there's quite a few zooms as well. And there's no way he's doing those, you know, cause they're, they're really subtle zooms and you need an operator who's, who's done that for years because this is before like motorized zooms, uh, you know, maybe it isn't actually we'll probably do have motorized zooms, but you know the the action the, from a technical point of view the action of getting a zoom right you know is is very difficult and you're not but you're not you're not there you're not focusing on the thing that you should be focusing exactly. which is clearly performance if you're the director and, uh, you and you want to go again well. and if you fuck it up uh you know yeah, yeah. the performance is gone so you need somebody who is a master of doing that and that comes from years and years of experience and doing it and i don't think uh, you know, I, don't think I feel like Besson in his style would probably want to operate in the shots that we talked about that maybe closer up on the face. Yeah. I think he's all about the face and the expression, the eyes, and it coming through there with the characters in this. So and they're all pretty locked off as well. Those where... shots. I've actually seen him on some of the dollies, like some of the B-roll, and he's not operating when it's on the camera's on the dolly. Uh, right. So you're probably right, Joe. He's not operating everything. It's just certain things. Well, and, and that, you know, I'm not suggesting that, um, there's a spin, but like I, like I mentioned earlier on in the episode, you know, there was a, there was a lot of excitement for young filmmakers. You know, you think about Paul Thomas, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson, Quentin Tarantino, David Fincher. And I think Hollywood was looking at, at trying to push the idea that audiences are going to see things they've never seen before because we've got this new fresh perspectives and it's happening now in 2021 mm-hmm. with uh, Emerald Fennel and uh, uh, oh, God, I've forgotten the director of No Man Lad. You know, now those female perspectives uh, are being pushed and that's, that's the exciting thing that audiences are starting to see these old tales being told from a different perspective. Uh, to me, it, it might've been a bit of a marketing ploy. Like here's an auteur, audiences here's a guy who writes directs operates camera he does everything um so you get excited because that's why i bloody rented out atlantis and i gotta say i was gutted it's rubbish i, I had a weird title <laughs> called thomas anderson here like joe will know I, I was obsessed with him at film school and uh, I, I would even rent uh jack tatty films because paul yeah. thomas anderson liked them uh Ooh. like mon oncle and mr hulo's yeah. holiday uh, weirdly tie into Leon because, yeah. like, and I've, I've since seen, uh, Playtime and really loved it as well. Uh, and I noticed some Jacques Tati moments from Jean Renault and, uh, weirdly like some Mr. Bean who was also influenced <laughs> by Tati. He's kind of <laughs> Mr. Bean like at times. Uh, and maybe yeah. it's just a French influence of it all, but there's a silent movie quality to, to some of the stuff that, that's going on, the visual. And it's, that, it's that accordion music as well. That accordion yeah. music, <laughs> isn't it? And it's, yeah. it's like clown, clown like, yeah. Um, yeah, I got that in my notes. I got Jacques Tati in my notes as well. Yeah. <laughs> um... the, and, and Joe, you, we, we were talking about, and we haven't, we've not really discussed some of the, the action sequences yet, uh, about how Besson handles it, um, in the latter part of the film. But there's one particular shot that I want to draw attention to. And it's just, you mentioned about the grammar of, of storytelling. And it's the, it's the shot where it's clearly on a bit of a hill and you don't know if Leon's got rid of Matilda and you see Leon, and you see Leon's profile come towards the camera. And because obviously the height of Natalie Portman, you then see Portman holding the, the, the plant. It's just that, that to me is just like, that's exquisite. And for, for a director of his age to be able to have the confidence and understanding that that, that will resonate. Great. But also like kind of, it, it kind of breaks with his, um, he breaks there and uses a long lens, uh, because that's the only way that you're going to tell that gag with a long lens. Uh, you know, you couldn't do that with a wide lens, it just wouldn't work. So 
he, you know, he's, he's willing to kind of break the grammar of the, you know, the, his movie uh, to, to kind of, you know. But also work. with that, um, he uses that shot three times throughout the film. And in each one, it's different. So that first one, Gally, is the start of their journey. We don't see them. They're coming into it. They're starting. The second one, they start halfway through. And then the last one, it's Matilda on her own exiting frame at the end of the journey. And there's the through line of each of those three shots that, I think it's really great visual storytelling as well for, that really adds to the film. Here's a question, guys. So this is a action crime thriller. We've got gangsters. We've got corrupt police. We've got mafia. We've got assassins. I, how is it? And I'll put my hypothesis forward first, but how is it that Besson manages to, to get such emotion out of a film that really has been kind of done? You know, we've seen this film so many different ways and, and they tend to focus more on the action and funny old thing how i know it wasn't luke besson but jean renault kind of turned into liam neeson point one um before neeson took over the the action pointing gun to the right uh man on a mission because uh, that's kind of where he went to <laughs> which in, came like, from a french church as well actually. yeah which obviously did yeah um but the amount of motion that that besson manages to achieve in the film and also that we don't question Leon and his morality because all the authority figures and the police, we never see a righteous cop. You know, it, it struck me this time watching it that the, the only other policeman that we really see outside of um, Stansfield and his team is a cop who's on duty guarding the, the crime scene. And he's there chatting up some woman, not really doing his job. And then there's another one who's a guard in the federal building has got a, a mug that says... I says something, I can't remember what it says, but it's like, you immediately think, oh, that guy's also a dickhead. Like, I just think Besson's very clever to not have the police or, or, or any authority figures shown in a good light. Uh, well, the, the, there's, the, there's, the two, there's the two guys who come and investigate the massacre, massacre aren't there? And they're like asking. But they don't yeah, really they're question him, do they? They're, kind of, they're, they're good guys, but they don't really challenge Stansfield. He just says, Mickey Mouse bullshit and walks off and that's it's, it. It's just a scene to get her to know where. Yes. Is, is it something to do with um, the, the portrayal of, of Leon as being a positive character? If, if you make every other male in the film um, mm-hmm. uh, diminished in some way, but even Tony, Matt, you know, like I, I wondered whether Tony was um, exploiting Leon, you know, knowing that he's, you know, not really what he keeps dropping these wisdoms, you know, I call them Tonyisms. <laughs> you know, it's just like uh, he doesn't want him to change. He doesn't change want him ain't to- good, change ain't good, Leon. <laughs> he doesn't want him to meet a woman. He doesn't. He wants things to stay the same. Uh, Besson said something about liking to keep people in the dark as far as who's a good character and who's a bad character, and that that runs throughout this one. Um, mm. it's, it's in every character really you don't really know who's good or bad and you kind of have to make your own mind up just with Tony I think there's a little payoff at the end where he has a moment with Matilda and says I miss him too kid and I, I believe that remorse from Tony that he misses Leon because mm. I think like the audience we've all come to love him really and mm. he's this this true guy who's been great with Tony and done everything he's asked for yeah. Um, and it is that positive influence that will be missed by both of them. And is, is, is Tony slightly a father figure then to, to Leon? Do you think? I think so. Yeah. He says he took yeah. him in, didn't he? Um, yeah. And that, and that kind of, that kind of feeds into that theme of parental guidance throughout, you know, Matilda's mm. lacking that parental figure, Leon, it's Tony and, and it kind of, 
you know, it goes full circle, doesn't it? You know, she then, I think Tony says, you're going back to school, kid. Um, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's over. The, the, I, the I end up games believing that he, he won't fuck him over with the money though. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It, it's nice. It's nice guessing it throughout though. Like, is he, I think that's deliberate, Matt. There's a lovely scene where that he's in the kitchen, isn't there? And he's he's telling the chef how to cook the, um, <laughs> the clams yeah, or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, what does he say? He's like, you got to be jumping off the plate, you know. <laughs> it's, a little, uh, it's just a great little kind of throwaway scene, but it's just, it's it's cool. It's really good. Besson said he grew up in Greece on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean and his best friend was a fish, which isn't too far away from being a plant. Uh, he says he doesn't know anything about these characters. He just invents it. And it reminded me of something I read in Springsteen's autobiography recently, where he confesses that everything in his songs is just invented. Like he, he, he wasn't street racing. He didn't have any of, any of that stuff, but he puts it in the songs just to be creative. And I think in England, we've got this preoccupation with being phony, which made me think of Guy Ritchie because everyone slags him off. He's not a real gangster. And it's like, he doesn't have to be a gangster. He's a filmmaker who overheard like a bunch of cool stuff in a pub and he put it in a film because he liked it. And that's absolutely okay. That's fine. Yeah. I, I, I don't know John Singleton's background, but <laughs> I don't think he was living in like Compton, No, but he managed to write and direct boys in the hood. You know, it, it, it's one of those things, isn't it? Like you take inspiration and you find truth and authenticity within it. But Leon, like I said, there isn't, it's not a real New York. This isn't a real scenario as such, but the, the, the master stroke is that for whatever reason, I bypass that like logical part of my brain and get totally sucked in. Tarantino, the same in Pulp Fiction. Sorry, guy, I didn't really answer like what, what works emotionally like for this, but I think we've said a few good things. We probably, we probably answered it in performance and and yeah, it it is. It's the characters. It's a relationship. It's, Mm. Falling in love with two people on screen that you believe in and you want them to, to grow. And it's that tragedy at the end of not wanting that ending for them. Well, well, before we get to that tragic ending, um, the music, Eric Serra, Bond fans amongst us, they've probably been waiting uh, another hour for us to talk about Eric Serra. Um, you know, I, I have to assume that the producers of Bond obviously watched Leon, or when did Goldeneye come out, or was he already on their radar as doing uh, doing the being the composer for it? Because there are clearly like motifs that you can hear in Leon, especially in those early sequences. The those electronic kind of do 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 do. Not the accordion um, stuff. That was not not the French stuff. Yeah, (laughs) but it's um it's that like electronic slow. It's the next year, Gally ninety five. Ah, okay. So they must have gone get that guy. John Renault said, like, um, like quite delightfully in one of his interviews, he said, "We are three: uh, him and Luke Besson and Eric Serra, uh, who composes, and like they're all regular collaborators. I think the Big Blue was something they all did together, and, and I think John Renault was in Besson's first film as well. So they're all they're like this little team of." Uh, um, collaborators, it's it's kind of cool when that happens. You can hear similarities in the musical beats of in Fifth Element as well, which which he did. Did he so, do? Um, Sarah, Sarah did that too. Yeah, you, you you can hear it when you're watching Fifth Element. You're like, oh, there's there's all that like, uh, 
those strings, that kind of ominous uh, foreboding it comes through. Oh, that's my that's my favourite piece of score uh, alongside, and we, it's going back to the introduction of Matilda, but that kind of wonderful, beautiful. I don't know what the instrument is. I'm not musically talented that way, but it's just whatever it is. Um, it sounds wonderful. I don't know if it's like a xylophone or something, but when she's dangling her feet, you can hear it. And, um, and again, it's just, yeah, it's just wonderful. They've all, they've each got their own little kind of musical motif and it it's really the percussion works. Percussion as well, like the unknown percussion. The d- 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 my my like favorite military type is great. It's like the, I don't know. I, again, I don't know what instrument it is, but there's a, there's, there's there's a sound that's very similar to um, the Terminator. Uh, there's the, the there's an anvil, like a droning. There's an anvil hip. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. like a clang, like a clang. Yeah. 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 Is that what it is? An anvil, right? Yeah. I, my, I believe my, my so from my untrained ears. But yeah, that sort of really sort of took me to Terminator when I heard it. You yeah. know, it kind yeah. of. It, it's fired that thing off in my brain and I was like, okay, yeah. Okay. The, there's a moment where Matilda says, um, hold on, I'll get the drink for you. And, and like, he knows in that moment that he's entering into a deal with her, uh, but he's kind of mm-hmm. allowing it to happen. And there's a, there's a musical kind of moment there that tells us he's aware of that, that decision happening. And that, that was my favorite piece of, of Sarah's music. All this lovely cinematic like stuff. And then it, it, you get the scenes where they're doing, charades with the playful french music and like all of that's really delightful as well let's play a game what kind of game of this great game it makes you think and it helps your memory it's exactly what you need In an action film, to stop whole proceedings and then to have a game of charades and is, a little uh, water fight as well. Which yeah, is a little water fight, and, the, and even even like I don't know if it was by accident, but it felt like one of those happy accidents on set where the door breaks and he's like, "Whoa!" and he, he catches it. Like I don't know if that was rehearsed, but either way, it's just a lovely flurry. Did you get any of um, Sylvester Stallone's Rocky in John Reno's character and performance in it? Only in his slowness, yeah. Just a little bumblingness, a little... There was a couple of times I was reminded of that kind of sweet innocence of uh, Rocky. Well, he's, he's a big guy, isn't he? And, um, you know, he, I think he mentioned that he would, he played a lot of heavies early in his career, but he's got that kind of soft, giant uh, feel about him. And, and one of my favourite bits is because he's so on point with the um, the comedic beats is when I think he says, like... He's trying to come to terms with what's being proposed and he just says, I need a, and he pauses a drink and it's just, it just gets a giggle out of me. I, it shouldn't do it. So it's just, it's simple setup, but it's like, I need a drink. Well, he, like, he's more of a villain in, um, uh, La Femme Nikita. Um, yes. So, so yes. it was cool that he did something different. There was a story about how, um, when Besson met with him, he'd packaged up the script in like a, a present. He'd gift wrapped it and he said to him, this is for you. Mm. Um, you are Leon. 
and uh and i think best uh, we shouldn't get into best son's girlfriends for god's sake but uh i think she was filming it on a video camera at the time to capture the moment but for some reason it wasn't in the documentary but he knew that he was gifting him with this performance that he really loved him as an actor and he wanted to, mm. to give him something to really get his teeth into and it was like the best gift that that renault ever got well, he closed the loop as well because to me, the Leon characters is extended into Ronin, which, um, I, I, I've got, I've got soft, soft feeling for that film. Me and my dad watched that. Uh, and I remember my dad was like, Oh man, these car chases. But again, I was, I was in it for Renault. Like I wasn't, I was like, yeah, De Niro's good, but look at John. <laughs> well, so, just, just so, to continue the line of Renault, just his performance and Portman's together, the payoff when they say goodbye to each other essentially is heartbreak well hold that cry patrick let's oh, talk about that entire let's let's talk about that entire kind of action sequence leading into our emotional catharsis leading into the one of the great comeuppance in in cinematic mm. history um that whole sequence is amazing from start from the moment portman's like oh i'm gonna go grocery shopping mm-hmm. and he says mm-hmm. don't don't forget the code yeah uh, it's yeah. just wonderful because it's the slow motion when we know the my, I have one quibble because I've been waxing the film, waxing the uh, lyrical about the, the, the film. I kind of wish that they didn't reveal that the police were waiting until they grab her. The, the editing gives it away. You know, it's happening, but I'm obviously like in and I'm like, Oh, oh something's wrong. Slow motion port walking. There's a shot of Oldman, isn't there? And he's, he's yeah, quite, and I'm he's just like, no, in. yeah, I'm like, don't show Oldman. Have yeah. the have the reveal be that she gets grabbed round yeah. the corner. I don't know, like the, the reveal of Oldman being there is somehow more terrifying. But I know what you're saying, Gally. It, it's like that sting of of the cops appearing mm. suddenly would be good too. But they're, they're both yeah, but they it, it preempts it. It, pre- it preempts it, and it's difficult to say having watched it so many times because you know. But it, like, um, I think that that Oldman beat does sort of preempt it sort of i mean nicely. it's sinister it's sinister because it's it reminded me of um the comedian in in wedding singer when the curtain closes i'm reaping all the benefits <laughs> but, it just, but yeah it, well, th- this was in my I, favorite scenes i don't know if we're going to do them but the, but the entire third act is just my favorite scene it's like mm. from, like you said, when she goes to the shop to get the milk and every time she goes to the shop to get milk, something bad happens. Uh, yeah. It's like a, a, a thing, a, a recurring thing. Um, and like the goodbye that you were talking about between them f- feels oh. very fatherly to me. It is very paternal. Mm. And I mm. resent anyone that finds anything sexual in that moment because it's just, there's, there's nothing to be read in, into there at all. You've given me a taste for life. I want to be happy, sleep in a bed, have roots. It's not pervy. It totally works for me. Well enough, Matt. It's pure melodrama, and I am uh, I am all in. I'm such a sucker of these things. But I, I so I watched it last night with with Danielle, and again, I, a tear a tear ran down my eye again every <laughs> single time. It's because like, and Portman is so strong in that. And you know, we've talked about child actors, and you know, I think you said, Matt, you know, they will do whatever you tell them. Sometimes that can read as as kind of almost unhuman mm. um you know, it works if you're Haley joel on, in, in ai yeah it does yeah <laughs> but again so so the structure of that scene it kind of builds to that crescendo so you have the grab and then you've got the first you got the first wave that go in and the knocks wrong and they they go in and, and the, the door closes and it's and then it, it sort of builds and builds and builds the the use of the action the use of the camera and the action uh is is really 
just great in such a confined space. Um, you know, they, 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 they use that confined space and, uh, and then there's the, the, the snipers, you know, it's, it's really well punctuated to lead to that extremely emotional moment. And then the breakout after that, where, uh, Renault just screams and there's that weird up his, up his yeah. nostrils sort of shot yeah. on his own. <laughs> it, it's, it's total recall-esque, isn't it? Like, yeah. it's, uh, he's it, just, his eyes are bursting out of his head. Um, but you, it's escalation, isn't it? It's, and, yeah. and this is what I meant earlier when I was talking about how Hollywood probably looked at Besson and went, this guy, for not a lot of money, has made a film that people are like gripped, like the action. People talk about the action and there isn't a great deal. It's three policemen in mm-hmm. SWAT uniform going into a room and get shot from behind. Yeah. Then he dangles down and just shoots them in front. It should be that it's quite simple and, yeah. and not that thrilling. But because the stakes are so high and we're so invested in these characters, this action just resonates and hits for me anyway. You see Leon in his peak kind of um, professional you know, he's he's against so so many foes, but he manages it all and like uses all that technique that he's got. And even when he he shoots out the um, the sprinkler, and it's just great. It's 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 you, you're seeing him perform as a professional. It's that way. It's cool, isn't it? And when, when I watched it when I was younger, I was like, "Whoa, this is fucking cool! Like, it's amazing." You also fear for him. Like you, you, you believe that he's fallible in this. He's not like Steven Seagal in, in mm-hmm. Under Siege 2 that we talked about, refusing dark to- Dark territory. To, <laughs> don't forget the- <laughs> Coal and dark territory. Refusing to, to believe, believe he's been shot. Um, but we, we see Leon's wound in the shower earlier. He gets hit in the shoulder during the attack. And you actually fear for the, that is he going to live or not? We fear mm-hmm. for Leon's death at that point. And that's very rare in an action. Yeah. And there's, and there's camera, and then there's characters moments throughout the action. And as I, uh, the, the, the action never betrays the characters. So Matilda smart gives them the wrong, uh, code. Then when, when she's let go and he's like, let the girl go. I mean, even that's cool. He's got a, like a desert eagle up against uh, a guy's head or whatever. And she spits on him. Uh, and then, and then kind of she's, she's exhausted and she's using them to, to, sort of carry her weight as she walks past them. It's just all wonderful. And, and he, Patrick, you said about the cool, those police guards were just police and then a rocket launcher, whatever. Oh, like it's, it's absurd, but yeah. like that is cool. It's just cool. And Oldman and freaks out. He rocket, said, just, yeah. go and destroy the building with one guy. It's when he goes to get his plant as well, you know, like stay away from the windows yeah. and he, mm. he has to get the plant and save that to save Matilda. Just, but he's, he's always thinking, isn't he? Grab the ax. Yeah. yeah. Grab the yeah, yeah, already yeah. foresight. He knows where she's going to escape down. He knows where he's going to save her. So another thing which, uh, um, I've got in my notes, which is a general, a general thing about the film as well, but also specifically for this last scene, it's, it's in the day. It's, it's, yeah. it's light. It's, you know, it's, you, you, you know, if you, if you're thinking about an action sequence like this from a sort of photographic and sort of, uh, like kind of most impacting full kind of, Thing. you you would you would set it at night wouldn't you i think you know and to, to make that decision is is quite uh brave i think um and it works really well it's because it, there isn't any night i think the only night shot is is a shot of matilda walking down a down the street with loads of neon lights in the background and stuff i don't think there is any there's any other night in it you know it's all yeah. day i think i think and, you're right and i mean what so the 
the only sort of dark place is a Tony's spot, which which is like a room that's set back from the street, um, and that doesn't have any windows in it, but it's still during the day. Joe, uh, is that is that maybe is it? Uh, you know, not to say it's a creative choice, but budget be more expensive at night. Yeah, I, mean, I was I was gonna I was gonna mention that, but probably not actually, because um, you know when you get into shooting day scenes, you've, you've got to control the light still, and it's very that is still expensive to do. Um, I mean, I mean, I presume this was a set. I presume it was, a, it was a build, the corridor for the. I think all, the all, all those interiors build. are in France. I think they're in Paris. But, but yeah, but are they, are they builds or are they locations? Is, is, is the question? Because, ah, you know, um, it feels tactile. Like it doesn't feel like it's on set. Nothing in the film really feels set bound. But they, they, they're not doing all those squibs and stuff on a location. You know, no, the, yeah, the, yeah. that last that last uh, corridor shot has, has to be a build. Um, I think um, yeah. so feeding back into the budgetary thing it doesn't really matter if it's day or night you know it doesn't really affect the budget so much I don't mm. think but Leon it's not big enough for you what? it's barely big enough for me we said no discussion no I'm not letting listen to me. not going listen I to me. won't go listen I won't to me. go listen to me listen to me we have no chance together, but if I'm alone, I can do it. Trust me, I'm in good shape, Matilda. And I know I got a lot of money with Tony, a lot. We'll take it and live together, just the two of us, okay? Go. No, <laughs> say that so I won't break. I don't want to lose you. You're not going to lose me, Matilda. You've given me a taste for life. I want to be happy, sleep in a bed, have roots. Never be alone again, Matilda. Please, go now, baby. Go. <laughs> Calm down. Go now. Go. Go. See you at Tony's. We will clean them all. Tony's in the now. And then the scene that follows immediately after, um, where, you know, the, the final reveal of, of the, the ring trick and, and all, all of that stuff. Um, it was originally going to be Matilda that did it in one of the original versions of the script. But, um, I, I think it's, it's much better if, if, if Leon is the one that, that sacrifices himself in it because he talks about innocence and once you kill someone, you have to sleep with one eye open and he's, he's getting revenge for her to protect her innocence so that she doesn't have to live like that after the death of Stansfield. And it's the, again, Renault, it's the Matilda. Yeah, oh, that just, delivery it's, is... It's, the... it's just the delivery is perfect because mm. um, it, it's such a great reveal. And, and, and again, it speaks to Oldman's loud performance that we are so desperate to see this guy get taken down. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm always like, he's nearly at the door. He's like, it's the, it, you know what? It's a classic cinematic trick, isn't it? He has a choice. You can go left or you can go right. Go down the stairs or you can go down the alleyway. If he goes down the alleyway, he probably gets away with it because no one's going to stop him because he's got his mask. But he goes down the stairs because he knows that that's the safest way. It's and that's how you create a great villain as well who kind of out, out thinks it. And he goes he goes into the dark. So that's another dark place where he goes where Oldman. So because Oldman's kind of hanging out in the what uh, during the whole kind of raid, he's hanging out downstairs in the corridor where it's really dark. Um, and it, and Leon sort of goes in and that sets up that kind of lighting gag of Leon coming out into the light. And, you know, you can see it's his POV, isn't it? It's, we're, we're, mm-hmm. we're his POV. And then there's like a little, a, a flash of light, isn't there? And yeah. 
where he gets shot and it's you know they, they set up that um visual grammar really well uh by the by the kind of the way the, they get him out it's great the fact that he he does it too and not matilda is also leading into this potential sequel that that galmont eventually blocked um uh, luke besson left galmont and started a new company but galmont hung on to the rights for leon and any subsequent sequels to it so the rights are just tied up and portman's too old now too old and too expensive I was yeah <laughs> but yeah it, w- it would have been great there's a moment where she's sitting in like a windowsill smoking when when leon goes to do the job that he doesn't let her accompany him to and you're kind of thinking in that moment like you know she'd be really good in a sequel as a as an assassin and uh, it's it's a shame it didn't happen but Having said that, sometimes sequels can diminish the original, so who, know, who knows? Yeah. No, it works for me. This works as a closed, closed narrative, um, and it ends, you know, it ends perfectly. Apart from uh, Sting, we could probably remove <sighs> the Sting song, but, but, but you know. Well, I should say in Korea, um, th- this film is incredibly popular in Korea, and uh, if you go into any little knickknack shop, or, or my my friend Mary used to call them um, uh, stuff stores. There's, there's lots of these shops where you can, can buy anything. If you go in any of them or a taxi or a coffee shop, you're going to hear the shape of my heart going round and round. Every, everyone plays it. And there was also a really cool pizza place here called Matilda, um, named after the character. And they looped the film on a projector. E- every time it was open, it would just be looping silently on a, on a projector. So you go and eat pizza and watch Leon just silently. Great. I mean, yeah, so we've talked about that tragic ending. It's like the inevitability of it um, that really crushes me. And just like I say, he's so close. and um, But it, it wouldn't have the same impact if they both get away and yeah. they, carry, they carry on this, this sort of dream of being assassin partners. Uh, it needs to have uh, that button on it that, that Leon, like I say, tragically, but in the best way possible. And again, Gary Oldman, uh, does he just say, Oh shit. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. This is shit. <laughs> there's, there's a great line as well, where he's like, stands fields. And he's like, at your service. He thinks he's one up to him. And then Leon one up to him. It's terrific. There's a moment though, as well, when he's getting ready to save Matilda and he's going through his weaponry box and he puts the grenade on his shirt you can see him oh, getting it ready. I never, I never saw that. I would have, have to watch it again now. I'm going to have to watch it again. But I also love the shot when uh, there's two, oh man, just the whole sequence is incredible. There's a close up on his hands as he pushes her hands down the vent, which is yeah. wonderful. And then we cut to that close up of his face, like, ah, which yeah. is really obscure and that, out of nowhere. Really that scene, one, one false move there and, and they've, they've blown it like between them. Mm. If there's a, an embrace even, or if, if there's a, kiss of any kind or anything like that they've blown it but ev- every move he does is is paternal i felt in that that moment and uh, you need the whole film to get to that favorite scene right you know that catharsis cannot happen without what has preceded it and that's it's one of those things isn't it where you can you could watch the scene in isolation and be like oh yeah yeah portman's yeah. good reno's good but yeah. it doesn't have the emotional heft unless you've been on the journey with these characters uh, that's really good points about how they, it's so well done that it's paternal does that does that feeling then sort of answer all the questions of the previous scenes? You know, does that the, the, like the kind of this crescendo, this like height, you know, the, the, the crescendo of their relationship? Does that then kind of 
make you look back at the other scenes and think it is paternal, you know. It and feels like that they're questionable in the moment, but then when he puts yeah. that full stop on it and we we realise yeah. his intentions, that answers yeah. a lot of the questions for me and yeah. explains away a lot of the peculiar he calls it he called it a perversity. He was very well aware of what they were doing. Yeah. But um yeah, I mean, I, I said he, he he's in love with her when he's in that corridor, but what do I know? I don't know. It's just the way I sort of saw it in that moment. But and then, what kind of love is it? So, I think you're right. It it can be a paternal love, and 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 Joe, you said before. Um, I think we were talking about Tony and what you know how the film purposely leaves it open open to the idea that maybe he is exploiting Leo, maybe he's not a trustworthy character. I would suggest the same as as what keeps us interested in their dynamic. You know, the, the fact that Besson chooses to have a far more adult approach and even touch upon, I mean, you know, it's it's very French. Um, I don't think an American filmmaker would, would have lent into that. They would have made it probably very explicit, very early on, that this is a father and daughter duo, whereas Besson trusts his audience to say, to have the maturity to to examine it and and then wait to see how it progresses and the fact that i'm emotionally invested at the end and and devastated that they are they are driven apart in such tragic circumstances means that for the film on me i i it answers the questions of whether or not there was um there was anything nefarious or duplicitous in their relationship besson and his real life obviously that does cloud the film a little but i still can watch it in isolation devoid of that information of uh of the director and and his his ongoing uh accusations and, can, and so like i think so a, a note i made really early on was you know is is john renault and gary oldman and the other the other actors but actors you know the producers of are they driving best on away from that a little bit you know is is um Renault taking a bit of ownership of that character and saying, in his performance, I don't want it to go that way. You know, I, this is the way it should go. Like, so is, in a way, is, is, is a best on hand sort of removed from it in a way by the other, the other people who were involved in it? I don't know. You know, it's. The other thing is that we owe it to the other people that worked on these films to, to not cancel an entire work of art. Because of one man makes a pig of himself, you know, if, if whether he's the author or not, author intent is only, you know, so, so much of it. We, we have to, you know, I, I watched the Woody Allen documentary recently and that's just, oh God, it's so damning. But, um, you know, it, it, it's up to the in, individual, but, but for me, the film, films aren't just made by one person and therefore we, and, and as you say, they, they belong to us as soon as they're released. They don't belong to the director anymore. So, uh, ho- hopefully we can take ownership somehow. And, uh, I think you're right. Re- Renault did, um, take it into his own hands and I'd rather it was in his hands than Besson's actually. But, um, you know, that's how I view it. Right. Well, um, I think we should, uh, I think we should do it then team. And, um, Joe, you're our special guest. So, um, please final thoughts on Leon and should our listeners, uh, well, do you recommend it for our listeners? Yeah. Uh, it's definitely a recommend. Um, because of its, I think, I think it's really the, it's, it's, it's the way it's a hybrid action sort of film is, is what, um, is what uh, drew me back to it and what sort of sticks out in my mind. The, the, the performances and stuff are obviously amazing and the character 
and, and the, the te- technicality of the film is, is, is great, but it's, it's the, the overriding thing for me is, is how it sits as a European kind of version of the American action film. And that's what, um, what I really, uh, always come back to with it. Um, yeah. Uh, and the rest is, is, it's, it's, it's easy watching and very good. Well, easy watching in terms of it's, it's well made. Uh, so. Is that yeah. finale your favorite scene as well, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so, you're so invested by that point and it's so well handled. It's, you know, that's what you, that's what you go to the cinema for, to feel those emotions. That's why you watch films because they stir things inside you that maybe your real life doesn't. And the, it, it's so well done from start to finish in terms of the film, but they build to that and then it's so well executed. And I am still interested in Leon as a professional and his actions and how he is, um, how he sneaks himself out. It's such a, it's such a good little, uh, you know, he, by putting the mask on and stuff, it's, it keeps me involved on that level as well as on the emotional level, you know? Um, so yeah, hundred percent recommend, um, but uh, try and avoid reading about what Besson gets up to in, in his pri- pers- private life, you know, and see it as a film uh, on its own. Uh, Galley next? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, well, this is um, this is a recommend for me, a high recommend. Um, and I, I, you know, we didn't really discuss uh, Besson in, in great detail for obvious reasons, but um, just from from my perspective, I think this is actually his, his strongest work. Um, you know, he's he, he went on to be an extremely successful and influential filmmaker. Um, setting up Eurocorp, you know, we have, uh, we've taken shots at taken, um, uh, who knows we might do the whole series in the future because, uh, my God, my God, did we have a giggle at that, um, that huge 12 foot, uh, baguette, but the, um, <laughs> but I, I it, to me, he, he creatively peaked, uh, really early in his career. And I, I think that the fifth element really, really did burn him. Um, not only with studios, but also I think creatively, uh, I know that, you know, he'd written the script when he was 15, et cetera, but he just seems to have kind of regurgitated the, the same types of tales, the same types of characters, assassins, crime. And he never really moved on from that. You, you, you called it right, Joe. It's a beautiful hybrid and it's a gateway into kind of a different perspective on a genre that, you know, for those of you have watched many, many of action films, will be really familiar with but it just gives you a a very adult look and a very european look uh at a a subject matter that's full of emotion and that's the bit that that catches me every time you know the action sequences are great but i am so invested in this dynamic and um as much as i'd love a sequel because as a fan i'd love to see matilda grow get roots um i quite like the idea of of leaving that story in my imagination so um yep recommend for leon uh and i'll pass on to you patrick i mentioned my friend biggins from earlier and it's one of his favorite films we had a, a big discussion on friday night about this film so i was trying to get ready and i wanted to be prepared for this conversation and he's a very smarter he's much smarter and better writer than i am and he wrote this and i was going to read it because i echo everything he said and i'm just seeing his work which makes me look better um 
he thinks the film's excellent for several reasons. Um, it's tense. The opening sequence is sharp and exciting. The heartbeats, the soundtrack is both immediate and romantic. It builds, the characters build, they are hurt. Their understanding of the universe is shattered and they grow, they survive, they love, they fail. And it's directed with crescendo. Um, building upon its layers, there's no easy understanding of what's right and wrong. No one is a hero. It's a modern tragedy, albeit a complicated one. You can't rewatch it to get a better understanding of right and wrong. You can only rewatch it to appreciate the filmmaking. And I think Biggins has pretty nailed it there for, for yeah. me, to be honest. Um, Let's get him on the staff. <laughs> I, well, he, he'd love to join us one day. And I, I'm deep personally. That's why I read it because that resonated with me. What he said, I, I agree with everything he said. I, I think it's pretty excellent film. Um, a real statement from Besson at the time to Hollywood to, to make this film with his own unique style. And I kind of am in love with it in a way because of how it makes me feel. Um, Joe said that you watch films to feel these emotions and I felt it. I've seen it twice this week and each time it hits me. I'm in love with Leon, John Renault, what an amazing performance and their relationship is kind of an everlasting cinematic thing for me. Um, yeah, great film. Um, yeah, over to you. Uh, it, it's another stellar pick from Joe. Um, this and Lebowski would just knock out for me. And uh, I think d- depending on the day, this one deserves a spot in like maybe my top 15, top 20 ever. Um, uh, as much as I love something like Kill Bill, it made me see how, how much better Kill Bill could have been. Like Besson nails that kind of tone that I think Tarantino was going for. I think he's great at doing certain things, but there's something about how this film is constructed, written, performed, the way it's covered, um, and it puts a lot of other films in the same vein to shame. Um, the plotting and the pacing, particularly in the longer version, which I enjoy, because uh, I, I feel like it fleshes everything out and uh, in a film that where, where things need to be fleshed out. Um it moves at a pace that keeps you interested. Uh, I laughed more in the first half hour of this than I have in most comedies, mostly due to, to Gary Oldman. Um, I was cinematically stimulated. Um, it's funny and exciting and thrilling and moving. Uh, as far as action directors, I think Besson is really up there. I think I've, I've got John McTiernan and John Woo, Besson, Verhoeven, you know, with honorable mentions to Bay and, Peckinpah and Kurosawa. Um, I, I don't know why, but the, the French are just cool, aren't they? Um, there's like an insouciance and a confidence and an honesty that bleeds into French cinema. And sometimes pretension, but I don't think here. Um, it's art and commerce together, uh, blended really well. Um, in terms of cinema and the magic of film, I think Leon live, it lives and breathes. Uh, there's a, the way the music stops and starts suddenly, it seems like it's on a whim, but it's been orchestrated beautifully by the people who've made it. The, the effect, we talked about things being heightened earlier, like the effects and the sounds and the, the whooshes of the movements of Leon. And like, I've never seen anyone take such delight in like the racking of a shotgun, you know, like the of a, a shotgun. I've never seen it done any better than here. Um, People who label it style over substance are just lost. I think their misery guts, you know, I, I don't understand it. Um, I think action is one of the most cinematic things you can do. And when you do it right, there's nothing quite like it. Gary Oldman, uh, Gary Oldman said uh, that the Romans used to throw Christians to the lions. 
and have gladiators and that was their entertainment and we watch violent films and it's it's that's just the way it goes we're fascinated by violence it's entertaining um jean renault oh sorry is it bad that i think gary oldman does that for his own personal kicks <laughs> he throws people to lions <laughs> yeah um, i don't know why i think that uh, renault said that that matilda teaches his heart to beat again and and, and if you think that's sexual then you're just missing the point of it. It's a film about hope. And I think I responded to that. Uh, I've said it a few times, like particularly as I get older, I, uh, I want films to say something positive or warm to me. Like the, the days of me being impressed by like cold, detached, existential doom are, are gone. Uh, I like a little hope these days. And, uh, I, and I'll, ref- I'll defer to Gary again because there's a quote of his from one of the making ofs. He said, out of this madness and violence, these two little flowers grow, which I thought was a really excellent summation and a, a beautiful sentiment worthy of a of a beautiful film. So, where can we? Where can our audience find Leon? Oh, I've got uh, in the UK. Uh, you can't stream it anywhere at the moment, but you can rent it on Google and uh, Rakuten TV, YouTube, Amazon, and in America, you can stream it on Direct TV, Stars and uh, you can rent and buy in the usual places right so i think we will uh, we will say our goodbyes but before we do joe a huge thank you for you to for for your pick um i i love nothing more than revisiting this one and I, it's, it's strange isn't it i get so excited when i get to introduce danielle to a film that she's never seen that i kind of know should hit and then i'm devastated if it doesn't but um <laughs> this one this one did hit so um so thank you very much nice one joe thank you yeah cheers joe pleasure it's been it's been great to be on again guys i really enjoyed it really enjoyed conversing with you about this uh yeah great thanks you are welcome back anytime um as long as it's not barry linden uh so (laughs) we we will say our goodbyes uh manolo get my friend leon a glass of milk (laughs) it's galley in glasgow stay safe everyone uh mr mcguffin can i have a word with you it's patrick in london Hey, don't talk like that about pigs. They're usually much nicer than people. It's Matt in South Korea. I haven't got time for this Mickey Mouse bullshit. It's Joe in North Yorkshire. Thank you very much, guys, and thank you, listeners, and we'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. See you soon.